This uh, last week, in fact this entire time here, has been very busy. And this last week I edited the last chapter, which was about 20 pages long and took a lot of work of the book that I'm working on. Thank you. And uh, then I wrote lyrics for eight of the songs for the Mystic Harp. It's not that these will be sung on the album, but I wanted to have them for the insert as we did with Mystic Heart number one. <coughs> and uh, now I'm going to sing you one of these that will be, uh, as I said, not sung on the album, but perhaps sometime we'll arrange to sing them. And Mairead, who uh, is a well-known singer of Irish music and sings beautifully, and she's going to record uh, a number of these also, and probably this one too. It's called Dare to be Different. <laughs> dare to be different, dare to be free, dare to roam far like wind on the sea, fly like a gull, soar high on the air, be strong in your courage when others despair. Never in anger, never in haste, go without proud, be never abased. Freedom is yours if freedom you give, to all give it freely in freedom you live. Mount, mountains that stand up tall to the sky, talk, uh, sorry, I've got to bring this up close to my ears. <laughs> Tell us no dreaming is ever, ever tonight, too high. Dare to defy them, brave that high peak. You'll never know failure if victory you seek. Dare to be different, dare to be free. Dare to roam far like wind on the sea. Fly like a gull, soar high on the air. Be strong in your courage when others despair. As you know, I'll be leaving tomorrow, and it's been a very busy, very fulfilling, very fruitful time. Uh, I've done everything that I uh, hoped to do, to do and more. I never expected to write these lyrics, for example, but uh, they got out there somehow. And uh, it was interesting how it came, because I just, um, I didn't really know where the songs were headed. I just took it the way uh, Jesus taught us, sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof. <laughs> I took it sufficient unto the line is the problem thereof. So I, without knowing what was going to happen, I wrote one line, 
as soon as I finished that, then the next line came, and I wrote that. Sometimes I had to sort of refer to a rhyming dictionary, but not too much. And uh, even that helped clarify what I could do. And so each song came out sort of line by line until it was finished. I said, hey, that's pretty nice. <laughs> Thank you, God. <laughs> the subject today is very important, and I think that it ties in beautifully with the tests that we've been through, the difficulties. You see, the uh, uh, spiritual life is not, as I was saying last Saturday, it's not a matter of God clearing all the brambles from our path. It's rather often God throwing brambles in the way, throwing high jumps that we aren't even sure we can jump, throwing uh, obstacles over which we have to leap and we didn't know we could jump that far. And God wants to test our love for him. Now many people misunderstand uh, such things. They think that doesn't God know I love him? Well of course he does. And he doesn't do this out of idle curiosity. <laughs> he does it to make us strong. It's when we have to leap farther that we become stronger. It's when we have to leap higher that we gain strength. And so the tests that we're given are really a sign of his love. They're a sign of his desire to make us strong enough to enter God. Because remember, God and the kingdom of God, no scripture ever says anything equivalent to um, uh, that the people who enter it uh, can be wimps. They have to be strong, they have to be heroes, they have to gain, get together all their strength in order to make that plunge into God. And this strength comes by being tested. And the tests are difficult in many ways because they, they uh, always sort of go for our weak points. They're bound to. Why should they bother with your strong points? It's your weak points you've got to make strong. So don't ever think, well, God, yes, I don't mind your testing me. Why test me like this? You know this is the hardest one. Well, that's why he has to test you, so that you'll become strong. But another thing is that he never gives you more than you can handle. The only thing is that it definitely looks as if it's more. Here's the whole trick, and I must say that this whole thing in the lawsuit with SRF was a good example of it, that uh, it, it demands of us that we work with our strong points. Don't worry about the weak points, try your best, but develop your strengths, and then the weak points will gradually come in line with those. Whereas if you work with the weak points and put your energy on that, you will become weaker, not stronger. You see, we become that which we concentrate on. And so don't worry how many, how many faults you have. I mean, you're on this planet because you've got faults. So don't think that, oh dear, what a terrible thing, I'm this way. So many people are afraid of facing themselves. But indeed, it should be a cause for gratitude that you see some flaw in your character. Because then you can get 
busy and work on it. But how do you work on it? You don't work on it by concentrating on it. You work on it by concentrating on those forces that will bring you. And so the key to this whole thing, and the subject in the, the uh, reading this morning from Rays of the One Light, is how do we become worthy of God's grace? The answer is devotion. Master said in uh, my early days with him, because I was quite intellectual, he kept talking to me, get devotion, get devotion. And uh, I would sometimes talk to him about some fault, asking for advice on how to overcome this or how to overcome that. He said, don't worry about that, just love God more. And I came gradually to understand that that's really what it's all about. That it's like a ship that when it's a big ship going through the water brings many things in its wake. And so also when you have devotion to God, that brings in your wake all those tendencies that uh, you're struggling with and struggling against. Don't think about anything so much as do you love God enough? God doesn't mind your faults, Master said. He minds your indifference. And if you can work on developing love, then you will find that one by one, everything else falls away. Now, these tests sometimes make you doubt that teaching. You think, yeah, but look, where am I now? But you find over the years that in fact it's true, and that nothing matters to you anymore except just loving God, you know that the only thing you want is His love. Somebody wrote me a letter just this week saying, well, how are we going to keep our devotion to Master after you die? You knew Him, but how do we, how do we keep it? Well, the thing is, don't think about stories of His life. Think of Jesus. There are some saints who have deep devotion to Christ and to Jesus and others have none. They're not even Christians, they just call themselves that. And it doesn't matter how long ago they lived, and it doesn't matter about stories of their lives. Make him a living reality in your life, then you'll have devotion. More and more I find that when people ask me stories about Master, just to tell them a story about Master, I can't think of one. Although I know hundreds, they don't come that way because Less and less I think of him as a personality. He's a, a consciousness. And in that state of consciousness, he behaved in certain ways that were beautiful, inspiring, uplifting. But he is that consciousness which can be and is with us right now. He's in our hearts. And the more you bring him into your inner awareness, the more devotion will be yours. You can't create devotion. God gives you devotion. Pray for the grace of devotion, if you will. But you can't psych yourself into it so much as just praying for love. It will come to you. But the more you have the consciousness of the Guru's presence and of God's presence and Divine Mother's presence in your heart, the more devotion will be just a matter of course. And I think devotion is something to feel primarily I know that people are on different levels. And, uh, for instance, many Krishna bhaktas love to 
think of stories of Krishna and uh, all the sweet little pranks he did when he was a child and so on. Uh, there's nothing wrong with that. That's fine. That's beautiful. But to go beyond that, to feel the presence of Krishna, then bit by bit the form doesn't matter that much. You don't think of the Guru or of Jesus or of Krishna or of Divine Mother so much as, a, uh, uh, as form as you do of thinking that they are everywhere and above all that they reside in the hearts of devotees. So what I'd like to say, which Master said was, love God and everything else, as Jesus said, will be added unto you. Don't let anything become so important as God's love. The more you keep his love in your heart, the more you will find that you become worthy of him. God is only waiting. You see, you have to, if you want to turn on a radio and get a program, some programs, some stations are far enough away that they're not very distinct. You have to tune the dial very sensitively to be able to get the program clearly. Well, God is not far away, but he's on a very sensitive wavelength. And he's not easy to tune into because there's so much static in the mind, so much static in the heart, so much thinking of, I want this, I want that, what a disappointment, I didn't meet this person, and so on. <coughs> the less you can think about yourself, and the more you can think about God, as I said earlier, you become that which you concentrate on. And as you concentrate on God, you'll gradually take on godly qualities. You know, ultimately, we don't do anything. We become absorbed in the thought of Him, and He does it all. I remember one brother disciple many years ago saying, uh, he just happened to mention, talking about omnipresence, he said, I just can't imagine wanting to be omnipresent. <laughs> and I can quite understand. Uh, it's a scary thought, in fact, if you really face it. You're not even omnipresent in this little body. You're not as much in your elbow as you are here. You're, you're uh, actually centered in the medulla oblongata, which is the seat of the ego. And omnipresence is something beyond conception. There are many aspects to spiritual awakening that are so different as to be scary. One time, Dr. Lewis was pestering Master to give him samadhi, and he sort of got him into a corner and, and uh, said, All right, sir, how about it? Let me have samadhi. Master looked at him. He said, If I gave it to you, could you take it? The doctor sort of faltered a bit, and he said, No, sir. It's not that scary, Master, uh, not that easy. Master said in Autobiography of a Yogi that uh, it isn't by intellectual willingness that you attain that state. It can only happen gradually by the purification of consciousness, by God's grace, by the Guru's grace, by the Guru's effort on your, your part, and by your constantly focusing on that reality which you hope to become, even if you don't know what it is, even if you can't imagine really even being able to stand it if it came to you. And yet, having faith that there's no other way to go, and uh, 
it's quite an adventure, isn't it? I mean, everything else makes sense. This doesn't make any sense. And yet, it makes every sense because you know that only in the direction of love and only in the direction of joy and only in the direction of some expansion of awareness and expansion of sympathy, you know, it's got to be there. And uh, yet, when you sit down and really think it through, it's beyond your imagination to understand. And yet, with that faith, gradually it comes into your consciousness more and more to the point where it just seems natural. When you feel love in meditation, your first thought is, of course. When you feel joy, well, naturally. And so these states, you, you look at the lives of great masters, you look at their consciousness, you look at the, the uh, you think of Yogananda who was able to know everything that happened in his disciples and God knows what else, all at a distance simultaneously. It's inconceivable how one time James Collar was on the highway and uh, was coming to Mount Washington and he was hungry and he stopped in at a restaurant and the only thing they had was hamburger. And so he thought, well, he won't know. <laughs> so he ate a hamburger. And when he got back and got to Mount Washington and Yogananda was talking to him, he was talking perfectly naturally, and then he just ended the conversation. He said, oh, by the way, when you're on the highway late at night and you stop at a place that has nothing but hamburgers, better not eat anything. <laughs> <laughs> he knew all sorts of things. There was, a, there was one, he used to say, don't pick up hitchhikers, don't hitchhike. And one time, uh, one of the disciples, Jerry Torgerson, was, uh, he, he hitchhiked somewhere and he was picked up by some people who told him that they wanted to go off the road a little bit just for a moment and they went to this this uh, farmhouse way out in the country and jerry was getting a little bit worried and they got out of the car they said just a minute we have to go inside and they knocked on the door and there was nobody there and they went around the house and they couldn't hear anybody they couldn't get in finally they came back all nervous and they just drove him back to the freeway and told him to get out. And evidently they had been planning to use him as the fall guy in a crime. And Master, when Jerry, when he saw Jerry, he said to him, he said, don't hitchhike. He said, I had to close all their ears in that house so they wouldn't hear. <laughs> don't give me all that trouble again. <laughs> and again and again, Master showed uh, how he knew what was going on, but when you think of Master, well, that's great, he was so wonderful, he could do it. You put yourself in that position and think, could I? How could I? Good God, what kind of a consciousness is it, would it mean? It's so foreign to everything that I know. And uh, there's a certain amount of fear, a certain amount of, my God, awe, trembling. And yet, the thing that happens is that you concentrate on that, and bit by bit, you become that, and it becomes perfectly natural. This is the state that's unnatural. That state is your only natural condition. Hold that thought firmly in your mind. Don't be afraid of anything, because one thing we do know, that to find God is the only fulfillment of the things that we are looking for. What do we want? We want peace of mind, yes. But we're not going to get it by getting a nice 
cottage by the ocean. Um, it doesn't happen that way. First you got termites, then you got burglars. There's always something going wrong. Then what else do you want? Peace of mind? Yes, love. And you don't find love from people. You don't find love in a wife or a husband. You don't find love in children. They're so sweet, and when they grow up, God knows what happens. <laughs> you don't find love from anybody, really, ultimately. It doesn't exist outside of God. And everything else is just a little glimmer, a little reflection on the ground, a piece of glass. But when you pick it up, you see that it hasn't any color of its own. And so, I don't mean to reject cynically worldly fulfillments. I don't mean that at all. But I mean that whatever is beautiful in any worldly fulfillment, understand that it comes from the divine source. And if you think it comes from this source, then sooner or later you'll find the sun goes down and there's no light there. Nothing has light, it's all reflected light. And so we want happiness, and we think that we'll get it from things, and we don't. We think we'll get it from some sensory experience, we don't. And bit by bit we find that nothing gives it to us. But the marvelous thing about this incredible drama of God's is that he, he, it's so complex. One of the things that I, I enjoyed thoroughly when I was working on the uh, editing of the Rubaiyat of Omar Khayyam Explained was a question toward the end of the book where Master seemed to be asking a rhetorical question. He said, is this drama of life so difficult to understand? And put like that, the first thought you have is, well, I guess not, of course it isn't. He answered his question by saying, of course it is. <laughs> of course it's difficult. He said, would the drama, would, would it show any skill on the part of the dramatist to make it easy? A good dramatist is going to trick you all the way to the end. He'll make you think that this is the villain when it's really that. He'll make you think the butler did it when in fact it's the maid. He'll, he'll, uh, he'll draw all sorts of red herrings across the trail. And so this drama of life is so complex that you, you think, all right, I know it's not in this anymore. Right? It's just not going to work this way. And then... Uh, he, 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 you begin to think, first of all, I just want God. And so God says, oh yeah, are you sure? So he gives you something else. <laughs> Go after that one. <laughs> and the trouble is that it's not only that there are billions of things that you could like, but by the time you've gone down the trail of the first thousand, you begin to forget, forget that the first ten were all that disappointing. <laughs> and so you're starting to think of them again. And it can go on quite indefinitely. <laughs> Until you reach the point where you just decide that there is only one thing, you begin to see that in prayer, in peace, in simplicity, in love for God, bit by bit it begins to come clearer and clearer. That's the direction to go. And the more you understand that the joy that you're looking for, the peace that you're looking for, the love that you're looking for, and the power and the wisdom and everything can only be found in Him, we'll leave the def definitions to God. It'll all come clear. It's wonderful to read the poem Samadhi. Master said, memorize it. 
It's wonderful to meditate on it. But even that, as clear as you might say down to earth, although he's talking about the galaxy, but uh, as, as something that you can understand with your intellect, even so, it's so much beyond anything that can be put in words, that uh, the main thing is just love God. And as you love him, you become that, bit by bit. You become that on which you concentrate. By loving God, you finally discover that he is you. It's not that you are he, because you can't say this ego and this body are God. But you can say that he became this ego and became God again. Master said something that I've never read anywhere else in mystical literature. And that was that you don't even lose your own individuality. You lose it, yes, in the sense that you merge into the infinite. But in that infinite, you remember the particular also. And so you always remember that God became Vidura, or Parvati, or Bent, all everybody here and whoever you were. You remember that God became you, specifically. And so you can always recapture that if devotees pray to you, if you are, uh, for any reason, uh, you come back into this world to help uh, other devotees, you can bring back that same personality, that same essence, I should say, and it's never lost. Nothing in God is ever lost. So be afraid of nothing. Be courageous. Dare to have the courage to know, the faith to know, that that which you are seeking is your true state, and it will come clear in time. But all that we need is to Love God more deeply. Don't worry about your faults. Don't think, I was saying earlier, He will test your weaknesses and so on. Yes, He will, but you don't have to do it for Him. He'll do it. <laughs> <laughs> don't be hard on yourself. Just think, well, okay, that's why I'm here. But don't think about that. Think about God, and He'll give you the test that you need until finally you reach the point that no matter all the things that seemed attractive to you at one time. They just don't mean anything anymore. It's not that you find them ugly. As long as there's a sense of ugliness, there's still a sense of rejection. When there's a sense of rejection, there's the opposite side of attraction, and it's still maya. You reach the point where it just, it's, it's nothing. It's all a part of the divine play. And so you're neither attracted nor repelled. You just know that God, I only want you. And you can say it with your entire being. Now when will God come to you? That's really up to Him. You see, we keep thinking that we are in the driver's seat. We're not in the driver's seat at all. He'll decide that. Have the faith to do what you need to do. There was a wonderful illustration given by the Shankaracharya of Kanchipura many years ago, he said that when you see a nail in a board, you don't know how much of the nail is in the board. All you know is how much is above the board. Uh, you don't know whether it's going to be a big job or a small job, a short job or a long job. But you do know that you, if you keep pulling, eventually that nail will come out. So have that kind of faith. Keep trying 
As Lahiri Masha used to say, Banata Banata Banjai. Trying, trying, suddenly, it's done.